You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. You're listening to the Stall and Stable Show, ideas for happy horsekeeping. Well, America is a big country. Keeping horses in New England is not the same as keeping horses in Texas or California or Montana. There are best practices and baselines wherever you live, of course, but we'd be silly not to talk about ideas for happy horsekeeping in specific areas of our big country. And so we're adding a new series called Stall and Stable West, featuring Horse Radio Network host, fox hunter, competitor, and horsekeeper extraordinaire, Tara Tibbetts. Listen in to find out what this series is all about and perhaps learn a thing or two about horsekeeping in the West. This is episode one of Stall and Stable West, brought to you by Barn Pros. Today's Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. I'm your host, Helena Harris, in Little Compton, Rhode Island. And I'm Tara Tibbetts, coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas. Please support our sponsors as their financial support helps make this show possible. We are absolutely delighted to welcome Barn Pros as our podcast's newest title sponsor. So why Barn Pros? Well, for most equestrians, whether amateurs or pros, the challenges of time and money are ceaseless. One of the ways we overcome those challenges is by being as efficient as possible, but without compromising quality care for our horses or ourselves. Enter Barn Pros. They offer extraordinarily well-thought-out barn and living structures that combine horse space and human space. One structure solves two problems. Barn Pros' exceptional quality, precise engineering, and streamlined building process reduces guesswork, mistakes, and time to build. That means time and money saved. See? Problem solved. Their barn packages include everything from blueprints to lumber and hardware all ready to build. Plus, they have great resources for educating and supporting their customers throughout the entire process. To see their designs and floor plans, visit them online at barnpros.com. Hi, Tara. Welcome to the Stall and Stable family and our new show, Stall and Stable West. Hello. I am delighted to be here. (laughs) <laughs> we had so much fun talking about horsekeeping in my previous series on horsekeeping with HRN hosts. So for the longest time, Tara hosted the fox hunting episodes on horses in the morning, a little bit of a hiatus. And I say hiatus because we need a fox hunting show. Um, for sure. And <laughs> if Stall and Stable has to resurrect it, we will. <laughs> Although, now that Horse Radio Network is owned by Equine Network, We've got a lot more resources. Who knows what will, will come of that? Yes, very exciting. But you're, you, do, you do two things, which are near and dear to my heart. You are a fox hunter, and you also compete in show hunters and the equitation ring, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Tell us about your horses. 2022 has been a rough year for my horses. Mm. Um, I lost my 29-year-old quarter horse in June, which, of course, is sad. However, 29 years is remarkably lovely. Um, He was my first fox hunting horse. And as time goes on, we'll get more into Jaguar's history. But he was um, a quarter horse my parents raised. I showed him in reigning. We went to the Youth World Championships in reigning. 
My mom showed him it all around. And then I brought him to Texas. He sat around for a while. And then he became my fox hunting horse until he retired at 24. So my current herd is, we'll go oldest to youngest. I have a 10-year-old warm blood mare. Her name is Coco Chanel. And she embodies <laughs> everything Coco Chanel would make you think. Um, and she is um, from a breeder local to me, October Hill Farm. So that was a pretty delightful opportunity to get a really nice horse locally. My other horse is a, he's an eight-year-old off the track thoroughbred. Um, I got him the January he turned three. He ran twice, was terrible, got retired. He's uh, beautiful and lovely and an amazing fox hunter and trail riding horse. However, he seems to, he's got some just weird ailments that we've been working through for the past 18 months. And so he's rideable. He does well. We're just kind of taking things easy and he's got a fat leg right now. And then lastly, a friend and I purchased in the 2020 Chincoteague Pony Auction online for the first time ever, we got a Chincoteague Pony. And Gene <laughs> is two now. Other than the Chincoteague Pony, uh, our horse situations are almost identical. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an important point because I'm up in New England. I'm in the Northeast. And you're in Texas. And so while – and I'm now just starting to get involved. I didn't know which discipline I wanted to put my thoroughbred mares in, but it looks like I'm going to be going into the hunter ring, at least with Susie. And who knows what Clarabelle will do, but I'm really kind of digging the hunter-jumper world. Good. I thought I, I wouldn't want to get into. So, again, our, our lives are, are pretty um, aligned, but the way I keep horses – can be pretty different than the way you keep horses. And not in terms of best practices, but in terms of geography, culture, community. The things that you need to take into account in Texas are very different than I need to take into account in the, the Northeast. So what, I mean, I'm guessing you agree with me that Stall and Stable needs specific coverage to areas that are different because the U.S. is so geographically different. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And I think to kind of build upon that, there's gotten to be so much research and information about different ways to keep horses that I might have a friend in Fort Worth who keeps horses maybe somewhat more similarly to you because of their life circumstances or the way their property is laid out or the type of horses they have. And so it's Climate is huge. Geography is huge. Discipline that you ride is huge. And just the actual space you have available is huge. So, yeah, I think it, it's it's absolutely relevant. I mean, we could probably have five different stall and stables just covering the different <laughs> geographic areas of, of the U.S., not to mention, you know, across the pond. I mean, that would be even more fun to, to learn about how people yes. in Europe take care of horses. Uh, but we'll start small, right? So when you were on my show last, you talked about growing up in Montana and on uh -huh. your family's farm. Can we start with that in this episode? Because yeah. I, I think that's pretty good. I know nothing about Montana. And that's like, I'm such a loser. <laughs> but I've never been there. I only know it's a state that's kind of close to the Pacific Northwest. You're bordering Canada. But there is a huge horse culture there. So what was your farm like growing up in Montana? So my parents bought the place where I grew up 
literally when I was born. They were finishing the house the week I was born and I was passed around my parents' friends before they were able to move in. And it was 20 acres outside of Mile City, Montana. And Mile City is 100 miles from North Dakota. So it's very far on the eastern part of the state, which is pretty different than what people think about when they think about Yellowstone. That's the mountainous part. Mile City is the foothills. So Mile City's colder, windier, and probably a little more arid than the western part of the state. And I, and the way my parents set their place up, so I say, you know, people always, you hear interviews of people who ride and they're like, oh, you know, I'm a first generation horse person. My parents didn't ride yet or whatever. My family never stopped riding horses. My grandparents raised quarter horses. My great grandparents raised quarter horses. My grandfather was one of the founders of the Cowboy Hall of Fame. It's it's thickened to my history. And so my parents set their place up very much from a background of growing up on large ranches. My mom grew up, her dad had five or six stallions that he stood and they raised 20 to 50 foals every year for a while. My dad grew up on thousands of acres just with catching wild horses and rope pens and breaking them. So we were set up for... There was a barn with stalls that had runs off the stalls, but the horses were really outside the majority of the time. And they, you know, we had four or five decent sized pastures on the 20 acres and dad always had the horses in work. He had cutting horses. I had show horses and we'd put them in at night and let them out during the day. The one thing we did that I so wish I could still do is in Montana, you really can't ride in Mile City from late November to late February. It's just, it's too cold. It's not worth it. So we would take our horses out to our family, his brother and sister-in-law's ranch, and they'd be out on five or six sections for three months. Just turned out. Just turned out. Yep. Yeah. How cold is cold? You know, because cold to me might be different than cold to you. Uh, the winter, it stays pretty consistently, like around zero to 15 when it's really cold. Yeah. But it's not unusual. Like I can remember my senior year of high school, it didn't get warmer than 40 below zero for about a week. So it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to experience the lowest of the lows. Yes. I mean, for and us, out- we might have a day or two of seven degrees or a day of zero, but typically you're not going to get that for more than two to three days. Right. And you get more, you get a lot more precipitation. You're dealing with more rain and snow. Yeah. Which you know, that affects the animal care so much because they can't keep themselves warm. My horses just had to deal with wind and actual cold weather. Okay. So it's a lot easier for a horse to stay warm if it's not getting wet. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Okay. So you, so your horses were just kind of go to, why would you move them to the ranch instead of keeping them where they were? Because you had, we'd have to feed them. Not that we couldn't, but you you just have to feed them take care of them, have them nearby. Dad felt very strongly that they would be healthier. You know, and I look back at the horse keeping in my childhood, we had two horses colic in 25 years. So having more room, more space, Mm -hmm. a more natural environment would allow them the opportunity to actually take care of themselves in the cold. And, And dad really felt like it made them tougher, stronger, better horses, better feet, better um, and any, in hindsight, he wasn't wrong. I didn't have lame horses. I didn't have sick horses. It really, dad liked to sell my horses every couple of years. Cause he wanted to teach me to not get really attached to them. Mm-hmm. 
but I had Jaguar for 29 years. He was in Montana for 13 of them. And when he like, until he was really under saddle at two, he spent summers in the six or seven sections with his mom and the winters. And he was actually healthy as a horse. My friends and I joke that healthy as a horse is kind of a terrible <laughs> saying. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but he didn't really have any health problems until he was in his late 20s. So, yeah. So this is something that you believe in. You keep them close when you need to work them and ride them and enjoy them, but also give them the opportunity to develop a little bit of a thick skin by, by putting them in that environment. Yeah. And we checked on them every other week, every week. And they did get hay and all that, but yeah, I, I, if I could, I would do it. I'm how sure did you, how did die, you make sure that they had water? Because dad knew the property where they were really well. He knew where the creeks were. He knew where the tank, they call them tanks, where the watering water was in each pasture. Cause they're, they were also cattle pastures. So they were either in there with cattle or the cattle rotated through there, maybe at a different time during the year. Cause my aunt and uncle are on, I don't, 8,900, 9,000 acres. God. You know, that's, yeah. that's such a difference. I mean, we definitely do not hear the thousands of acres phrase when you're talking about East Coast farms. Right. Just, you don't. So that alone completely changes the way you think about everything. There's food, water, shelter, and socialization when it comes to keeping horses. But that looks very, the details of that look very different when you're talking about thousands of acres. Yeah. So. On that kind of space, what about fencing? I mean, I've always heard you kind of got to get on your horse and on a regular basis, ride the fence line and make sure things are intact. Is that yes. something that's legit? Absolutely. That's it. There's kind of a funny lore in my family. So Kevin and my husband and I bought this place that we live at now in 2006. And it was fully fenced all the way around, but there was definitely fencing that needed to be done. And so he talked to my aunt and uncle and said that he wanted to learn how to do fencing the right way. And so he went and spent a week with them on their ranch. And my uncle thought it was the funniest thing in the world that some crazy Texan wanted to come up and fence for a week because it's constant. Yeah. I mean, and they do it more with ATVs now than they do at horseback riding, but it, it's, they know their fence line like you know your car. How long does it take to do that? you know, to, to check the fence, even if you're using an ATV, like, can you do it all in one day? Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. It, it's, it's definitely one of those kind of, you know, I think about my property now, I know the weak spots in my fence. And so we kind of have an ongoing, like, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this part. And then we're going to do this part. And they just have that on a massively larger scale. Because their bigger issue, it's the horses are not as much of an issue for them as cattle. And cattle are harder on fencing than horses are. Meaning they, they run into it or they push it harder? Oh, yeah. They, they'll take it out. Yeah. They'll take it out. Yeah. Which is yeah, kind they'll, of interesting because you're like, you've got thousands of acres. What could you possibly need on the other side of that fence right? that you don't get? <laughs> yes. It's really where the saying, good fences make good neighbors. That's really where that came from. Yes. Yes. What about... I hate to say it this way, but challenging wildlife. You know, there's always the issue of domestic animals and wild animals. Can the herd protect themselves? Do you throw there's a really donkey nothing, out there? There's nothing out there that's going to hurt a horse or a cow. Okay. Um, deer, coyotes, antelope. I mean, the biggest predator in eastern Montana is a coyote. There's, there, wolves haven't made it that I don't think wolves have made it east of Billings yet. 
Yeah. Um, They're still recovering. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's the, pre- I mean, you sometimes worry a little bit about maybe a pack of coyotes getting after a calf, but mm. that it, it was never, never an issue. There was a bigger issue with, with crows eating calves eyeballs than there was with anything else. God. Yeah, it was, it's pretty Terry, you had to do that? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 now I got to recover from that one. Oh. I, you see, this is, this is the hard part. I'm uh, over here in the Northeast, like my little city girl horse property. And I'm like, oh, my horse cut her leg. And yet there are people who are dealing with very real confrontations between the land and the environment and their their animals' well-being, whether it's yes. livestock, calves, or horses. Um, and foaling, foaling, I would imagine that that part of horsekeeping, you do much closer to home, right? Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So I'm actually looking at an aerial view of Montana right now. And this is kind of exciting for me because I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn something about Montana. You know, when you first described it and you're looking at the aerial map, the eastern part of the state, like two-thirds of it, three-quarters of it, is very mm-hmm. different than yes. the western. What's it like to travel with a truck and trailer? Is Are the roads smooth? Is it easy to get around? The highways are well, very well maintained, very nice. There's hardly any traffic. Uh, it, it's, you know, and outside of that, when you're, you know, I spent the majority of my time like moving cows with my dad and such as a kid. Like it was usually dirt roads or just driving out in the middle of nowhere with no road, mm. which was fine. I mean, I never felt unsafe. Um, I, I've spent a lot of off roading opportunities. Because um, we always had a, a horse trailer and we always had a stock trailer. And so dad would only ever take the stock trailer when we were going to go out to the middle of nowhere. And all these ranches have. They have a place where they gather cattle to set to, you know, sort and separate and brand and all those, you know, vaccinate, doctor, whatever. And so those always had roads to them with good parking and all that. Mm. It just feels so wild to me. And you're like, no, this is just my backyard. <laughs> I mean, it is wild. And, you know, I'm in my 40s now and I realize and mom and dad never really said anything about it. But I just I realize now how lucky I was mm. to grow up in that kind of environment. Yes. I mean, it's what people dream about. Yeah. Now, now, was that their profession? Horse keeping and racing and all that? Were they horse professionals of some sort? Or did they have day jobs? So my dad owned the stockyards in Mile City. So he owned the auction market in Mile City for 20-something years. He sold it when I was in middle school. And then he had a liquid cattle feed supplement business is what he was doing until he passed away in 2006. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and then she worked for the hospital for a number of years. But my grandparents, they, well, go, mom and dad had stallions and raised horses. I would say it was more of like a hobby type of a situation. You know, dad pretended like he was doing it to make money, but we all know how that goes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And did make me sell. I had a really nice quarter horse that I did with the jumping stuff with, and they made me sell him to, quote unquote, help pay for college. So going from Montana to Texas, what did you, what have you brought with you from your life in Montana to Texas? You're like, this is something I learned growing up and I'm not going to let go of that. Even though I'm in a completely different environment, this is how I'm going to keep my horses. And this is what I think is important because I know it worked for me and my family. 
So I set my barn up, not identical, but virtually identically to the way my, the barn that my parents had was. So it's got four stalls. And because at the time I built the barn, Coco was six months old. She was a baby. And so I, I thought she was going to be really big. She's not, she's 16 hands. <laughs> um, but I know, I knew going into it that my hobby was going to necessitate larger horses than quarter horses generally are. So I, my stalls are 12 by 14. And then I wanted runs off of all my stalls so that the horses, if they need to be stalled, they can, but they're never like finger quotes stuck in the 12 by 14. So each stall has a 50 foot run off of it. They're about 15 feet wide and 50 feet long. So they're pretty good sized. Three of the stalls have those. And then one stall has an actual paddock adjacent to that. And then they can go from those paddocks, those pens out to just being turned out because we're only on 10 acres. So I really took from the setup I grew up with to having the more horses can move around, the healthier and the happier I feel that that they are. Mm -hmm. And we don't get extreme weather really in North Texas, contrary to what the weather people and people here like to pretend like that the weather is. It's really not like we might get a lot of rain. Yes, there's the occasional tornado, but those are so concentrated. They're not like crazy snow events or whatnot. So my, I, I want my horses to be outside as much as possible mm. with the ability to go inside if they choose to in bad weather. And I, I do keep them the same way my parents did, but I alternate it. Like right now, they're turned out during the day and they come in at night. During the summer when it's really hot, I swap it to where they're in their stalls with because they each stall has a ceiling fan. And then they're turned out at night when it's cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we can allow them to make the choice to come in or out, depending on how our properties right. are set up. And sometimes we have to bring them in and keep them in. Um, right. But I, I find that when you pay attention to your horse's behavior, when they are allowed to make choices, then keeping them in during the day when it's hot and they're under a fan, they would make that choice anyway. So, yes. but, um, I mean, mine are in from 10 to 2 pretty much every day in the summer. And sometimes I'm like, this is, it's a beautiful day. What are you guys doing inside? One of the things I've noticed recently in the last two to three years is that even though the ambient temperature outside might be nice, even in the 70s, the UV rays are so strong, it's uncomfortable to stand in direct sunlight. I, oh, I, interesting. Yeah. And so having an environmental background, I've been aware of the thinning ozone layer for the last 30 years. But it wasn't until the last three or four years where I have felt that it is intolerable. Even, you know, Susie, she can be grazing at 10 o'clock in the morning. It could be 75, 80 degrees. And the side of her body that is exposed to direct UV light, the sun's rays, will be sweating. The yeah. other side of her body is dry. Crazy. Yeah. So, um, you know, so she chooses to come in just simply to get some respite from those those rays, which are so strong. Um, okay, so that's a universal thing. The more horses can move, the better. And so you're taking this sort of microcosm of Montana and installing it in your farm in Texas. I love that. Um, do you consider yourself separate or different from your East Coast or West Coast equestrian counterparts? Or do you feel aligned with them? Like, yep, just because we live in different areas and we come from different cultures, I feel connected to you. Or no, I really feel different because things can be isolating. I am 
living in a different world. I mean, obviously just the, the interest in horses is an alignment with them. I think that East coasters generally more than Midwesterners or Westerners, unless you go to, to the far coast, so many more of us in the center of the country are able to have horses at home. Mm. I feel like on the East Coast, it's much more of a luxury to do that. You're much more often, most folks I you know communicate with very regularly on the East Coast, their horses live at a boarding stable. And that just makes for a different horse experience. It does. I and mean, land is at a premium here. And especially in the Northeast, where we are extremely overdeveloped, where we have now we have finally have zoning laws in place. So you, you can't, in my town, you can't build anything on less than two acres, which people That's complain awesome. about. They complain about they want to build a 3000 square foot house on a quarter of an acre. But in the rest of the, the country, maybe not California, but in other areas, uh, especially non metropolitan areas, land is more available. And so you're right, it's the opportunity to keep horses at home is much more accessible. And I think, um, I'm probably going to get flamed for this, but I think it makes a difference in the ride, the horse's performance, the relationship with the rider. And It's and funny the- you say that because I, I have a friend who, she she's came to riding as an adult. She had her horse boarded for years. She and her husband bought a place where they could keep their horses at home about five, four or five years ago. And she made the comment when we were riding this past weekend that she feels like her relationship and her ability to ride is wholly different now that she keeps her horses at home. Mm-hmm. Understanding my horse's personalities and their subsequent behaviors completely influences the way I work with them, the way I train them, the way I ride them, who handles them verbal cues that I use. But without that kind of detailed information about their personalities, I'd be doing a one-size-fits-all approach to, to horses. Mm-hmm. Um, people who board and invest a lot of time into their relationship with their horses, please don't be offended. But there is something that you're missing when your horses are in a boarding stable and you are not responsible for their care. Uh, it doesn't mean they get the, that the quality of the care is any less than what they would get at home. But I do think that being able to to understand them at a detailed level by caring for them improves the relationship and therefore <laughs> their performance. When you can affect the change of their feed when they get fed, you know, what just everything, you know, if and when they get supplements, you know, what their water bucket looks like. It it just Yeah. You know, my like Gene, my Chincoteague pony, he really likes the maroon water bucket. He hates the green one and the black one. Like <laughs> Yeah. And when you're trying to keep a horse hydrated, knowing that is- That matters. <laughs> it totally matters. And it saves you money too. That's the other thing. When you're not aware of your what your horse's preferences are, the trial and error, or even just say having a horse who's dehydrated because he doesn't like to drink out of a small bucket. He'd prefer you know, a trough. Uh, now you're spending extra money on electrolytes and things to put in their water to get them to drink more. So- we're going to talk about that, too, in an, an upcoming episode on comparing costs, how much money we waste in a yes. boarding facility uh, versus keeping them at, at home. What do you think we're going to talk about on Stall and Stable West? This is going to be a once-a-month show to start, yep. and uh, that should be enough to keep us busy. You're really connected, uh, not only in the fox hunting world 
and in the hunter jumper world, but like you said, you come from such a strong Western background. What kinds of topics do you think you want to cover going forward? And who, what kind of guests do you think you want to have? Well, and I absolutely would love um, listener feedback if there's anything West Side that they're interested in hearing about. But I would like to get more folks on that trail riders who keep their horses at home and Western riders from barrel racers to rainiers to cutters, rodeo folks. One thing I think that I'm sure a lot of our listeners do, but you know, the folks who really hit the hit the ground rodeoing, they travel a lot more than like a hunter jumper or what, you know, we go to a the big, you know, the the really involved hunter jumper people go to a circuit and they're usually there for three or four weeks or whatever. Rodeo folks will go to five different rodeos in four days from Texas to Montana. Wow. So and that is a kind of horse care that I think is really fascinating and interesting because you're dealing with travel and stress and new arenas and all of those things. So I have so many different ideas and you know, <laughs> so many different people I'm so excited to talk about. And, you know, what I love about Stall and Stable and what you've done with this podcast is it's not a one size fits all for anybody. I might sell my place to somebody else who comes to live here and uses the space completely differently than I do. And it's not any better or worse than what I'm doing. It just works for them. And so my goal is to continue what you've started with a Western perspective on giving people information to make the best choices for their horses. Yeah. Yeah. There's a baseline. There's a foundation of best practices. This is what you need, right? Mm -hmm. Fresh water, shelter, the five freedoms yes. as they're referred to. But then, yeah, shaping, shaping horse keeping to, based on your life. I mean, to me, the, the two things that are most um, – that horse people have to focus on the most are time and money. And yes. when we <laughs> have a good handle on those two things, then our horses are happier and healthier. And so are we. So if we can make horse keeping more time efficient – and more cost effective, then that's everything. Yep. Because then you can take your extra dollars and make your horses like life way better. <laughs> and your um, extra time to do more with your horse. Yeah. And, and you're not rushing. I mean, to me, time pressure ruins so much. Whenever I am rushing or I'm trying to meet a deadline or get some place on time, I invariably will push my horses just over the edge of their comfort zone. And I'm mm -hmm. like, damn it, I did it again. I'm rushing. And horses take time, lots and lots and lots of time, especially if you want to do something right. So how can we, I, I say it's our most precious commodity. Time is our most precious commodity. How can we make more of that or make the yes. time that we have last longer? Um, so I'm really looking forward to what you have to bring to the table with our new parent company, Equine Network, providing some resources and connections, more connections. I think Stall and Stable is just going to get better and better. And I am so happy to have you on board, Tara. So thank you for agreeing to do this. Oh, my pleasure. I'm ecstatic to be here. <laughs> and thank you so much to Barn Pros. You can find more information about them at barnpros.com. So if you're thinking about living with your horses, above your horses, or building something new, Barn Pros is the place to go first. Tara Tibbetts, thank you so much for this first edition of Stall and Stable West. We will be back in one month with a new episode. Sounds good. 
Well, thanks for joining us this week, listeners. And I hope that you'll subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player and you'll be able to hear more from Tara as well as regular Stall and Stable episodes. Remember, listeners, that the primary purpose of this podcast series is to entertain and inform. The information contained herein is not a substitute for professional, medical, or legal advice. So please consult with a professional in the area of your specific inquiry. If you need assistance with your barn or business, go to stallunstable.com and click on the services link and schedule an appointment with me. I'm available Monday through Friday for most hours during the day, and I'd be happy to lend a hand in whatever area you need help. And that's going to be a wrap for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it.